This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. My favorite, probably my favorite passage of Scripture is what is known as the parable of the prodigal son. Um, I was talking with Jacob Vale right before service, and we are just talking about how the name just really doesn't fit the parable. It's just been called that forever, I guess, uh, ever since we've had the, the canon, and they've put subhead, subheadings in there. But it's, it's so much more than a parable about one of the boys in the story. It's about both of the sons, and it's about the father. Um, and so this morning, we get to look at all three characters in this story, and we'll see maybe how each of us fit in this story, because I firmly believe that you will be able to relate very much to at least one of these sons in this story, and then hopefully we'll really be able to just relate to the Father and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. So, Luke 15, we will begin at verse 11. Let's read this together. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us celebrate and eat. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, when this son of yours came, 
who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. An incredible story. John MacArthur called it uh, the greatest short story ever told. The deeper I get into this passage, the more I read it, the more I study it, it just gets harder and harder for me to disagree with him. There is such a richness in this passage of Scripture. And this morning, I'm going to do my best to share at least a little bit of this with you. The first character we see is the the younger son. Um, Could be classified as the rebel. And he goes to his father. Dad, I want everything that's coming to me. I want my inheritance now. An incredible slap in the face, literally telling his dad, the thing that I want more than anything else in this life at this moment is for you To no longer be here. I want you gone. I want you dead. So that way I can get all of my inheritance. I'm tired of waiting for it. I'd rather have my inheritance than have you. Very, very just uh, heartless. What the father does is really amazing. Okay. If you want it. If that's how you feel. Here you go. So the younger son would get one-third of the entire inheritance. The older son, the firstborn, would get two-thirds. That's the way this would have worked. So the younger son gets one-third of his inheritance, and he leaves. Uh, An incredible disgrace to the family. This family would have been a well-known family. We know that from the way that they celebrate. that They're very wealthy. They have hired servants, the fattened calf, already just there to be able to be slaughtered for the celebration. We know this is a wealthy family. And so he gets a substantial amount of money and goods that he can sell off and get more money. So very popular family, well-known, total disgrace, an embarrassment to the family. Son leaves, leaves and goes to a Gentile country. We know he's going to be Jewish, So all of his upbringing, all of the community, all of the culture, gone. He doesn't just say, Dad, I just want my money. He says, I don't want anything that you have to offer. Nothing. Everything that you've tried to teach me all of my life, everything that I've grown up to learn, I don't want it anymore. So he takes it and he leaves. And the the best picture that we would have would be somewhere like a Las Vegas, where you just go and you just squander it on everything that is unholy. And so he goes, famine comes, he's got nothing, it's all squandered. But he's very prideful, so he's going to try and figure this out on his own. I saw this little video of what Vegas does, all the hotels and casinos, and what they do with all the leftover food from the buffets. So they just get rid of it. I mean, it's no good. 
going to cook it fresh every day, so it's gone. And there are, there are pig farms, and so these owners of the pig farms, they will come, they will get all this food that is just thrown out and is spoiling. And so it's in this huge truck. They take it to this huge facility, and it's just baking in desert heat. And you can imagine just how gross this is becoming, very sludge-like. And eventually they'll have it on a conveyor belt. They'll just start pulling all the unedible stuff, which you would think it's all unedible, but not to pigs. We're talking plastic, hard things that cannot be digested that would actually harm the animal. By the time this is all done, you can imagine just how gross it is. And there's a system. They just bring the truck in, they just dump it, and it runs down this vat. And when the truck comes, the pigs start going crazy because they know what time it is. It's time to eat. And so they're super excited about this, and that slop just comes. And they have a feast. The prodigal son is in such a dark place that he longs to eat what the pigs leave behind. That's a bad place to be. Um, I don't know that I've ever been that hungry. I mean, I've been hungry. You know, I I remember as a a teenager, our youth group would do this 48-hour famine to raise money, and, and, you know, it was a a neat project. Uh, When I became a youth pastor, I never did the 40-hour famine. Um, but even after 48 hours, I, I wasn't even close to being hungry enough to think, man, if I could just have the leftovers of the pigs, I'd be all right. And that's where the prodigal son is. And so he kind of comes up with a plan to go back home. And I want to share a few things with you about the prodigal. We're going to see this, uh, from the elder brother as well. There are two ways in this life outside of being with the Father uh, and, and getting that eternal life from Jesus that we try to find our happiness, that we, we try to get all that we want. Two ways that we do that. The first that we see here is self-discovery. So the prodigal gets everything that he wants. He's like, all right, I'm about to go discover myself. It's rampant in our culture today. Uh, there are so many, so many people in our society that do not have the belief and understanding that God has created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Um, you are not a mistake. There's nothing about you that is a mistake. God created you because he loves you. Um, we might be disappointed with some of the things that he chose about us. Why I went bald in my 30s, I don't know. Um, I would really like to have a head full of hair. Um, I'd like to be taller. I'd like to be able to run faster and jump higher. I'd like to be a professional athlete. There are lots of things that I would just be like, you know, God, you could have done this a little differently. Um, But at the end of the day, to realize that now this is, this is how the Lord created me. And I'm not supposed to be six feet tall. 
I'm not supposed to have a head full of hair. These things are there to remind me of my shortcomings and my need for a Savior. Um, But to be thankful for what the Lord has given me. And for all of us to be thankful for what the Lord has given us, that he has created us, that we don't have to rely on self-discovery because God gave his only son so that we could have eternal life uh, apart from us trying to have, have to do it ourselves. But self-discovery tells you that you have to do it yourself. Henry Nouwen, he was a, a Dutch Catholic priest, and he lived in the Netherlands. He was a great theologian. And I'm going to share a few quotes uh, from, from Henry with you this morning. Um, he, he passed away in 96. He's no longer with us, but his theology is, is remarkable and continues to bless us today. Nouwen described the prodigal this way. I'm afraid of being disliked, blamed, put aside, passed over, ignored, persecuted, and killed. That I am constantly developing strategies to defend myself and thereby assure myself of the love I think I need and deserve. So the prodigal has a misunderstanding of who he is, whose he is, and he believes that he doesn't belong where he is. And so he sets on this journey of self-discovery. Self-discovery is always, always going to lead and create feelings of emptiness, humiliation, and defeat. When we attempt self-discovery as our way of finding identity and acceptance, it leads to a deafness in our ability to clearly hear what the Father is wanting to tell us. When we live in a state of rebellion, I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, it is going to make it very, very difficult for us to hear what the Father is wanting to tell us. In essence, you're running one way and God is not running that way. Okay, God is here and you're just going to run away from him. And he's telling you, Brian, let's just go this way. This is going to be better for you. If you trust me here, no, 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 I know better. I'm going to take my way. And you end up sleeping with pigs and wanting to eat their leftovers. That's not a good place to be. I don't think anyone would voluntarily be in that place. The prodigal did not ever expect that that's where he would end up. When he set out, he had every bit of confidence he could have that he was going to be all right that he was going to do just fine, he was going to do things his way and have a great time and live a long life and die a happy man. And it just didn't work out that way. Listen to what Nowen says. Dustin, I think this is the quote. We have this? Yes. I am not so sure anymore that I have a safe home and I observe other people who seem to be better off than I. I wonder how I can get to where they are. I try hard to please, to achieve success, to be recognized. When I fail, I feel jealous or resentful of these others. When I succeed, I worry that others will be jealous or resentful of me. 
I become suspicious or defensive and increasingly afraid that I won't get what I so much desire or will lose what I already have. Caught in this tangle of needs and wants, I no longer know my own motivations. I feel victimized by my surroundings and distrustful of what others are doing or saying. Always on my guard, I lose my inner freedom and start dividing the world into those who are for me and those who are against me. I wonder if anyone really cares. I start looking for validations of my distrust. And wherever I go, I see them and I say, no one can be trusted. And then I wonder whether anyone ever really loved me. The world around me becomes dark. My heart grows heavy. My body is filled with sorrows. My life loses meaning. I wonder if anyone in this room this morning has ever felt that way or is feeling that way now. Now it has an incredible way of putting into words our feelings and our thoughts. Now read this and... It just helps me to see things that I've never clearly been able to see before. What we see here with the parable of the prodigal is that he comes up with this plan. Comes up with what he's going to say. Prepares his speech. So, all right, I'm going to go. I'll say this. And... Surely he will hire me. What we see here in the heart of the the, the prodigal is this idea and belief that the father is going to demand some sort of payment to be able to come back. The, The prodigal is going to struggle with this idea of what forgiveness really is. But he's about to experience what it really is. He wants to come back and be a hired servant. The fact that the younger son wanted to be hired and to work for the father is because he wanted to work for his forgiveness. I think this is a great struggle for a lot of us. It's a great struggle for me. Can I just be transparent with you? Um, Sometimes that can be a great struggle for me too. That I feel like I I have told the Lord, I will never do this again. If you forgive me this one time, I will never do this again. And then I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again. And you get to that one time where you think, I think the forgiveness has run out. I've done it one too many times. So you run back to the Father and you say, look, here's, here's what I'll do. Here's what I will do. Here's what this does. Receiving forgiveness requires a total willingness to let God be God for him to do all the healing, restoring, and renewing. As a hired servant, I can still keep my distance, still revolt, reject, strike, run away, or complain about my pay. If I can work 
for my forgiveness, then I'm still in control. Then I still have a say. That I still have my rights. And forgiveness just doesn't work that way. Jesus took all that so that you don't have to worry about carrying that. When you come and return to the Father, all you have to do is just ask for the forgiveness. God, I, I, I messed up, and I need your forgiveness. And what we see the Father do here, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. The Father sees him coming from a long way off, which leads me to believe that every day he looked for his son to return. That his son was not forgotten. That no matter how far away we run, we're never forgotten. That the father is still looking. And he wants you. And the father here, I can, I can just see him every day getting up, get his you know, cup of coffee still on the front porch, and just waiting for his son to return. And get up, do a few things, come back, sit on the front porch, wait for his son to return. Just walking around, staying close to the house, just in case. Just in case. And this one day, he sees his son coming. And as if the family has not been disgraced enough, the father, look, he's not going to be dressed like this, okay? He's not wearing shorts and a t-shirt and some on clouds, all right? He's, he's, got his, he's got his robe on, he's got his sandals, and you can see him just kind of hike it up a little bit so he doesn't trip and just take off running. And... This would have been a massive breach of decorum. Men just didn't run. That's a big no-no. Culture says no. And the father is saying, I don't give a rip what the culture says. The most important thing to me is my child. It's amazing because the father says the same exact thing today about me and about you. I don't care about what the culture says. What I care most about is you. That I will, I will do and have done giving his son so that you could have the eternal life that I offer. So he runs to his son and he gets there. And the son, he's got his, he's got his you know, whole... Uh, thing planned out. Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, no, 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 just stop right there. Just stop right there. And so the father gives him three things. We see him give him sandals, a robe, and a ring. The father's full of gifts full of extravagance, full of love for every single one of us. When I was a senior in high school, um, prom was coming up, so I had my date, 
and had a big group of us, group of friends, going to, to prom together. So we had a huge caravan. And I was driving my car, my, one of my best friends and his date, in the back seat of my car. We were <clears throat> the fourth car in our caravan of five vehicles. And so this particular road in Baton Rouge that we were going to have to go down to get to our restaurant. There was a house there that in the eve of the house, they had built bird houses. And so my friend's date is telling us about this. Have y'all seen the birdhouse house? It's really amazing. These people have built birdhouses into their house. No, Kelly, I've never seen the birdhouse house. And so we are coming up on the birdhouse house. And Kelly, my friend's date, leans up between the two front seats and just starts pointing and screaming, Look at the birdhouse! Look at the birdhouse! And we all look, and I'm like, Awesome! Well, we're coming up on an intersection. The traffic light turned red. And so you know what happens. I'm not paying attention. Just side note, I'm not blaming Kelly for this. Okay? <laughs> this, is, this is my fault. I was driving. I should have been paying attention. All right? So I hit the car in, in front of me. Airbags deploy. We, we, we found out that I was literally going the minimum speed for the airbags to deploy. It was like 25 miles an hour. And so airbags deploy, and my, my date, she wanted to see the birdhouse house as well. So she's like leaning forward to see around me and Kelly, and you can imagine what happened. Airbag deployed, and... Um, she was okay. She was okay. But, I mean, I felt bad enough just for that. Well, I hit the car in front of me in my group, and I think that was like a Mazda MX-6. And then they hit the car in front of them, also in our group, and that was, I think, a Pontiac, Pontiac Grand Am. And then they hit the car in front of them that was also in our group. That was a Rolls Royce. I know, right? So prom was awesome. Um, I will say, we, we did end up getting to go to the prom, and it was fine. My date ended up leaving me um, for a moment. She came back to me. I mean, it was a night I will never forget. But I remember standing on the side of the road, and the way this road was, it was it's a two-lane road, but it was divided by a median. It was kind of in this neighborhood area. And all of my friends, obviously, they're just scattered. I mean, we're all in tuxedos and formal dresses, and so we did it in style. Um, but I remember calling my dad. And, and telling him what happened. I'm like, oh, this is not a phone call I want to make. Uh, but I remember calling my dad and telling him what happened. He said, okay, son, are you okay? 
Yes, sir, I'm okay. Is everybody else okay? Yes, sir, everybody else is okay. He said, all right, I'll be right there. And so I literally did what the prodigal did. I've got everything ready to go. I'm rehearsed. I know exactly what I'm going to say when my dad gets here. You know, I'm just like, there's a little bit of uh, evidence, you know, here. So I can't say that, you know, like nothing major happened. But I have, I have the script ready to go. And so my dad gets there. He says, son, you okay? Yes, sir, I'm okay. Look, dad. He's like, no, son, don't worry about it. No, 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 no. Dad, I need you to be mad. Son, son, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not going to be mad. It's going to be okay. Dad, you don't understand. I need you to be mad. It's going to help me feel better if you're mad and you're angry and you yell at me. So I'm not going to yell at you. Dad, I don't care who's here. I need you to yell at me. It's going to help me feel better because I royally messed this up. Son, I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to get mad at you. And I'm not going to yell at you. I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad your friends are okay. Tonight's your prom night. Don't think about this anymore. I'll take care of it. You go and enjoy your senior prom. One of the greatest moments of my life. And I hit a Rolls Royce. (laughs) I'll never forget the love that my dad showed me that night. And is a picture of the love that the Father has for us. That the Father shows the prodigal in this moment. The sandals are a gift of sonship. The robe is a gift of honor. And the ring is a gift of authority. The Father gives everything back to him. You came back to me. You were lost and now you're found. Son, I forgive you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to yell at you. I love you. Welcome home. So they have a huge party. The older brother is out in the fields working where he was every single day that his brother was gone instead of going to look for his brother as he should have. So we have this idea that the older brother probably had a very bad relationship with his brother long before his brother even left. So the elder brother, this would be me. This is, this is the, the brother that I'm going to most align with. Adam Robinson and I, have had, we've been friends for a long time. Adam Robinson's our senior pastor, and uh, he resides at the Mount Laurel campus. And when I was in Baton Rouge as a student pastor, I would bring Adam in to speak uh, to my students and at my camps. And so we developed a friendship over the years. And so right before I came here earlier, and it was like February 2013, 
Adam was preaching at my camp, and he and I were just hanging out. And I was talking to him about some things going on in, in life and ministry and stuff. And he looked at me and said, Brian, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to think I'm, I'm crazy, but I'm not. I said, okay, man, what? He said, you need to go to counseling. I said, you're crazy. I don't need to go to counseling. I counsel people. I don't go to counseling. And he said, no, 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 just hear me out. You need to go to counseling. Okay, all right, I'll look into it. And he said, are you really going to look into it? Or are you just saying, I said, no, 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 I'll really look into it. I lied. I didn't look into it. I have since told him that. He's not going to find that out for the first time when he watches this. All right, but he knows. January 2014, I come to Double Oak. And I had just been ordained in October 13, right before I came here. And so when you get ordained for ministry, for full-time ministry, it, it just changes how you file your taxes. And so in April, we file our taxes, uh, and it wasn't good. I'll never forget where I was. I was in the commons at Mount Laurel when I got the phone call. Or it actually was an email. I got the email. And I pull it up. Oh, great. How much are we going to get back? Wrong. It was thousands that we owed. And um, I, I broke down right there in the comments. Thankfully, nobody was around. Um, but I just broke down. And then I called Mandy, my wife. And I said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have this money sitting around. So I called my mom. And, you know, we got taken care of. My parents helped me. My dad came through in the clutch again. But in that moment, I broke down and I just crumpled under the weight of it all. And I, I went to Adam. And I said, okay. I'm, I'm ready to go to counseling. So I go see a counselor. Becky Whitson, Covenant Christian Counseling. Within five minutes, she said, Brian, you're the elder brother. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Pretty sure I'm not, Becky. <laughs> Brian, you're the elder brother. And we spent the next hour, hour, 15 minutes talking about it. And so I left there. And I'm like, I need to know what, what's going on with this elder brother since I'm the elder brother. He comes in from the field and he hears the celebration. He sends one of the, the servants, go find out what's going on. Uh, very prideful. Both brothers are very prideful and insecure. They just exhibit it in different ways. Servant comes out, hey, good news. Your brother's back. And we're celebrating. And I mean, that's it. Sets him off. He's so angry. Here is where we see the, the older brother tendencies. The older brother is a worker. Work for everything, earn everything, nothing should be given to me. I can prove to you that I can do this. I can prove to you that I am worth the sacrifice. So I work and I work and I work. 
And so the elder brother has this mentality of, I've worked so hard, one day I'm going to get what I deserve. And when he sees that his dad kills the fattened calf for his, his younger brother, which he doesn't even say it's his brother. He calls him, you know, your father, the father's son. He's so angry, so angry. Here's, here's why. There are lots of reasons. Here's a few reasons. So when the younger brother gets his inheritance and leaves, he gets a third of the father's you know, property and belongings and wealth. So the other two-thirds will go to the elder brother. So in his head, all this time, all of his life, his adult life, he has been working and working and working to earn and prove that he's worth that two-thirds. That's his expectation. That's what he has coming to him. When his brother returns and his father welcomes him back into the fold, he's not going to get that two-thirds. A third of the father's wealth is gone. So now that the younger son comes back into the fold, he gets another third of what's remaining of the father's wealth. So now the, the older brother loses even more of his inheritance that he has worked for and worked for and worked for and fully expects. Because he's earned it, right? He's earned it. He's proved himself. Dad, I have worked for you and worked for you and worked for you. All this time, I've never disobeyed you. You can see the pride, right? We see it in the rich young ruler. Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Obey the commandments. I've done all these things. What? I don't think so. But Jesus never questions him. The father doesn't question the son here either. Jesus tells you, the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And he walked away sad because he was very wealthy. The older brother says, the son of yours takes everything, squanders it, comes back. And you kill the fattened calf for him. An incredible delicacy. Uh, not everyone had this. Just to have meat would have been a, a great privilege. You haven't even given me a young goat. And the father's response sums up all that we need to know about how the older brother thinks and his actions. Son, everything that I have has always been yours. It's so loaded. Here's the thing. The elder brother obeys God to get things. The elder brother has a very difficult time receiving what the father wants to give him. The prodigal understands this, this picture of this grace. He has this plan. He comes back, and, and the father says, no, 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 I give you grace. And so he, he's able to receive this. Hey, let's go into the party. Let's celebrate. God, I can't thank you. Dad, I can't thank you enough. You're, you, are, you are such an amazing dad. And he's able to receive it. The elder, not so much. There's a belief in the elder brother that since he's been so good and done, th- that things need to be done his way. 
the elder brother struggles greatly with being in control. When, when we want to have control of everything in our lives, we in turn make Jesus our helper, not our Savior. Because when we're in control and we want to do things the way we want to do them, look, I know what's best. I'm a hard worker. I'm diligent. I'm trustworthy. I'm honorable. I can do these things. I will prove myself to you. God, I need you to do this for me. Instead of just being submissive and doing the God, you know, things that God wants you to do. What happens then, and we see this here, when we have this expectation and when trials take place, there's typically going to be anger or resentment and bitterness or all of them towards the Father. And it doesn't have to be anything real big either. So let me ask you this. Let's just say you have children and one of them gets sick what's your initial response toward the father if it's anger God what are you doing I mean I'm doing everything you asked me to do I work hard I tithe I go to church I pray for people I read my bible I do all these things I can't have a healthy kid Very elder brother mentality. Or maybe you're just going down the road and you get a flat tire. You know, everybody gets flat tires. But you get angry. God, I am bringing some resources to a ministry. I'm doing your work. And I get a flat tire? What are you doing? you doing? No, I'm going to be late. These people, they're going to suffer because of you. That's a bad place to be. That, bless you. That's where the elder brother is. That's the elder brother. In that moment, what you should see is, all right, Father, I need you. I'm going to spend some time in prayer, protection, grace, mercy. Run to the Father instead of staying at a distance and pointing your finger. This is elder brother. So, elder brothers really struggle with grace um, because they tend to think they don't need it. I've earned it. I can work for it. I don't need the grace. I'll be okay. And we'll do things. Um, we'll do things to try and cover that up. Elder brothers are typically very secretive sinners. So the prodigal, you can see everything he did. I mean, you, you could. He went to Vegas, wasted it all, did some really foolish things. Um, the elder brother, he stayed home and he worked. And he did what his father asked him to do for the most part. Uh, it was very good. He was a good, good boy. He's a good kid. But he 
was probably even more rebellious than the prodigal, which is scary to think about. But that's what we see. And it's amazing because the elder brother represents the church leaders. The Pharisees are here listening to this. They hear about what's happening with the prodigal. And they're like, yep, that's about right. That's what he deserves. That's what he deserves. And then Jesus flips the script. So you can't earn this. You'll never be good enough. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough. Son, everything that I've had has always been yours. So the great, great struggle for the elder brother is to learn to enjoy the goodness of the father. To be able to sit in it and to just receive his love and his grace and his mercy. That's the greatest struggle for the elder brother. Dustin, I'm going to read that last slide. I'll get the worship team to come on up. Y'all can come on up. We'll close this out. This is Henry Nowen one more time. He says, the platform where the father embraces his kneeling son, it is the place of light, the place of truth, the place of love. It is the place where I so much want to be but I'm so fearful of being. It is the place where I will receive all I desire, all that I ever hoped for, all that I will ever need, but it is also the place where I have to let go of all I most want to hold on to. It is the place that confronts me with the fact that truly accepting love, forgiveness, and healing is often much harder than giving it. It is the place beyond earning, deserving, is the place of surrender and complete trust. Our greatest challenge, regardless of if you relate more to the prodigal or to the elder brother, the greatest challenge for all of us is going to completely surrender all that we are and all that we have There is a, a war that wages inside of each and every one of us that we, f- we will probably fight every single day that we're on this earth. And that battle is to choose your way or God's way. Both brothers had this battle. The younger one lost it for a while in return and there was a celebration the older brother lost it and we don't know how that turns out the parable ends Jesus leaves it out there Uh, I think for the most part this is a story for for all of us that all of us can really find ourselves in 
time I heard somebody preach on this message, it was really just on the prodigal. And then it was on the father. And the father left the house, ran to the son to welcome him home, to receive him, to forgive him, and give him life. I've really never heard anybody talk much about the elder brother and how the father leaves the house for him too. also a breach in decorum when he leaves his guests to go claim his older son. He loves both of his boys. He loves all of us. And the father's son left the house for each and every one of us so that if we receive your goodness.